0: My name is Gene Williams. I'm one of the preachers here at Grace Fellowship. Welcome. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us this morning. We're so glad you're here. Would you like to please God? Do you ever feel like your life is not pleasing to God? Maybe you have skeletons in your closet that dig you way too deep to possibly be pleasing to God. Do you ever think that it's impossible to please God. Maybe you are are somebody who um, thinks the other way. Maybe you think that everything you do pleases God. It is possible to please God. It is possible to walk and live in such a way that God looks down on you and He says, I am pleased. I am well pleased with you. Have you ever experienced... Have you ever tasted the delight of having your Heavenly Father's good pleasure on your life? On your choices? On your habits? Have you tasted the freedom of having nothing to hide? Have you enjoyed something in life and thought to yourself, "God, God delights in this. God is well pleased with this thing. Let me assure you this morning, it is true. It is possible to please God. And if you've wondered any of these questions, uh, no matter which side you fall on, you know, it's impossible to please God, or perhaps you think that everything you do pleases God. This, this passage is going to be a blessing this morning. 1 Thessalonians 4. I pray that we would be helped by this as we study this morning. Today we're going to see that walking and pleasing God, it involves a couple things. It involves at least abstaining from sexual immorality having more love, and being informed about the hope. And those are your points for this morning. Abstain from sexual immorality, have more love, be informed about the hope. So, this far in our series, especially if you're, you're visiting with us this morning, um, we've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, and, and we've seen... A lot. We've seen that the life of the church is a life of faith, love, and hope. We've seen Paul, an early church missionary, that he's writing to this church in Thessalonica. That's why the, the letter is called First Thessalonians. And last week, we saw Paul's heart for the Thessalonians. We saw that if you have a biblical understanding of ministry, you're going to be concerned about people's faith. Yet even in success, even in great success, we are dependent on God. This week, there's going to be a slight shift. We're going to move from talking about how much Paul loves the Thessalonians to now Paul giving them commands. He's going to instruct them from here on in the letter. So we'll be in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's on page 640. If you have one of our church Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And as you do, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for these people. Thank you for how well they love each other. And Lord, thank you for this time to be a body, to to love one another and to study your word together. Father, we thank you more for the person of Christ. Thank you for the love that he displayed. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless our time this morning. Please unify us as a church, build us up, and, and help us to see what you have to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, First Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need... Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Living a life that is pleasing to God, it is possible. And it involves abstaining from sexual immorality. So as I mentioned, the word finally here in verse 1, it it signals a transition. He's ending his letter and and he's ending it with commands. Verse 1, we ask and urge you, Thessalonians, in the Lord Jesus... That as you received how to walk and please God, I want you to do this more and more, Thessalonians. And then we see a gigantic statement in verse 3. Thessalonians, this is the will of God for your life. What's the the will of God for the lives of those in Thessalonica? Their sanctification, verse 3. Let me define sanctification. It's a big word for growing in your faith. Or for becoming more set apart for the Lord. So, that's what God wants. He wants the Thessalonians to be more set apart for Him. Specifically, what does Paul say? He says, one thing. I expect Paul to go on with a long laundry list of of how they are to be sanctified. But he spends six verses talking about one sin. He wants them to abstain from this sin, sexual immorality. He wants them to know how to control their own bodies, not give up their bodies to passionate lust. He says, you know those who don't know God? They're the ones who can't control their own bodies. You don't want to be like them. Thessalonians, I want you to be like those who know God. You, you must control your body in holiness, in honor. Thessalonians, I want you not to sin against each other. Sexually. Verse 6. So, a whole bunch of verses. This is the will of God. And you have one sin. Sexual immorality. Why shouldn't they sin against each other in this way? Why? Paul gives his reasoning. Verse 6. Because the Lord is an avenger. In these things. He's an avenger. Paul makes clear here that God does not look at sexual immorality and wink. God does not look at sexual immorality and chuckle. God is not a Hugh Hefner in the sky who raises his eyebrows when sexual immorality comes walking down the street. This is what he does instead. He avenges. Verse 6. Should there be sexual immorality, the Lord sees it as evil and he brings vengeance. This is not trivial stuff. Paul's tone here, it's very serious. He speaks about how he solemnly warned them about this sin and now he's doing it again in the letter. Verse 7. Paul continues. Thessalonians, God has called you to purity. God has called you to holiness. God has called you to something greater than lewd jokes, something greater than indulging in seduction. He's called you to holiness. And verse 8, it ends with another stern warning. Paul says, should you disregard this? Should you disregard what I'm telling you, Thessalonians? You are not disregarding me. You are disregarding God. The one who gives his Holy Spirit. Giving in to this sin. It is clear. It is not a trivial thing. It is, it is not something we as believers are called to. And should we sin against each other in this way? We are trifling with the vengeance of God. So, let us not ignore this. Let us not disregard God. This all matters because it shows us how seriously God takes this sin. How assuredly He hates it. It also matters because it shows us that this can be a big part of someone's sanctification, right? Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, and then he only lists one sin, so this can be this can be a big part of our sanctification. How does this apply? number one I'm going to take it right from the passage abstain from sexual immorality abstain from sexual immorality as a christian this is this is not an option for us anymore. The next time you see a frisky ad with a a tight topped woman or a nearly naked man, don't let your eyes linger. Look away. Abstain. The next time you're home alone and you're tempted to look at porn, text a friend, get out of the house, go to the grocery store, do something, abstain. The next time you're you're tempted to indulge in same-sex attraction, maybe you struggle with that. Remind yourself of, of what God says about pure, godly sexuality in the Bible. Abstain. And I'm not attempting to give a solution for any you know, manifestation of this sin. What I'm trying to do is encourage us to abstain. Number two, application. We've got uh, do not wrong your brother or sister in this matter. Sometimes we can excuse this sin because if I'm by myself, it's not hurting anybody, right? What's the harm? By engaging in this sin, you are wronging somebody. You're either wronging your spouse, your future spouse, the person you're thinking about when you indulge in this way. Younger believers who look up to you, somebody is going to be wrong. And I tremble to even bring it up again, but the Lord is an avenger in these things. So what if you've already given into this sin? What, is there hope for you? There is one who has never given into this sin. Jesus Christ in John 8, when he's with the adulteress, he does not condemn her for her sin. He lets her go. And after setting her free, He doesn't take advantage of her as a form of sick repayment. He abstains in holiness and in purity. Living a life, it's it's possible to please God. And it involves abstaining from this sin. Let's let's also talk about loving. Pleasing God involves having more love. So, moving on. Verse 9 Paul starts to talk about love. He says that the Thessalonians, they're they're doing such a great job at loving each other. He says, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For that indeed is what you are doing. You are loving each other so well. Great job. But even in the praise, he gently urges them onward. He says, you know that good thing you're doing? Do that more. Keep it up. When I played football in high school, words from the coach often sounded like this. Great hustle, Williams. Keep it up. Good sprints. You beat them. Beat them by twice as much next time. And that's, that's what Paul's doing. He's saying, you guys are doing amazing. This is great. You're loving each other so well. I want you to do this more and more. He gives them a couple other commands, starting in in verse 11. Live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So how does this tie into love? How would working with your hands cause you to walk properly or be independent? In this day, the Greeks, they looked down on manual labor. To work with your hands, it was next to slavery. And so what Paul is doing here, he's trying to reject what the Greeks say. And he's saying, if it means you have a job, do the manual labor. Work with your hands so that you may appear right before those outside the church. Work with your hands so that you may not be dependent on those in the church. And it is a form of love to provide for yourself so that you're not dependent on other people within the church. Now, I don't think Paul is talking about those who are unable to work here. He's talking to the people who have job offers sitting in their lap, lap, but they just don't want to work. They don't want to do the manual labor. And so Paul encourages them, take the job, work with your hands. This matters because it shows that working a job produces fruit in at least two areas. One, it earns you favor in the eyes of those outside the church. And two, it prevents you from being dependent on your brothers and sisters in the church. It shows us that even if we love each other well, we can always love more deeply. So how does this apply to you? Be encouraged, Grace Fellowship Church. You love each other so well. I see you all do things that I don't see outside the walls of this building. The uh, not to give a spoiler, but the elder boxes I think will be a perfect example of this. How else does this apply? Love each other more and more. It's okay if you think of Sunday mornings as your. Your time to love people more than you normally do. That's kind of how I think about Sunday mornings. Love your brothers and sisters more and more. How else does this apply? College students, this means that you are to look for a job. Right? Especially if you're a senior. This means that during this school year, you are to pray for a job. You are to look for a job. You are to interview for a job. And that will love your mom and dad. If you say, mom and dad, I love you. But then you go home and you, you. Live at home and you mooch off of them. Are you really loving them? To the church more generally. If you are an able-bodied person. And you are not working. That is a failure to love other people. If you. If you. Do not have a job because you have not tried to get one. That is a failure to love other people. And I know that God is not going to give you every single job that you apply for. But as much as you can, strive for that job. Find something so that you may do these two things. Jesus loved deeply. He loved so much that it costed Him His life. It costed Him His dignity, the flesh off His back. John thirteen thirty five. By this all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. I encourage us to love in this way. It is possible to live a life that pleases God and it involves loving. Finally, it, it involves being informed about the hope. Be informed about the hope. So, Paul ends. He switches topic yet again. Starts talking about those who are asleep. And he's not talking about those who are snoozing here. He's talking about those in the church who have died. Verse 13, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Put yourself in in their shoes. If you were uninformed about brothers and sisters in the church who died, what might you do? Verse 13, that you may not grieve as others do who do not have hope. The problem in the church here is that there are young church. Keep in mind, they thought that everyone who died in the church would never be with Jesus. They thought that those who died would be without God forever and miss the second coming of Jesus. They knew that Jesus was coming back. But they were grieving for the people who had died. And you could see how that would cause you to grieve as someone without hope. My friend who I love just died. Jesus isn't back yet. They're apart from God forever. Paul comes in here to correct that way of thinking. He says, No, those who are dead, they will be resurrected they will be with Jesus too. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Verse 15, Paul even says that those who have died, they get first dibs on Jesus. Verse 16, Thessalonians, here's what's going to happen, Thessalonians. The Lord Himself, He will descend from heaven. Jesus will come out of the sky, voice of an archangel, sound of a trumpet, with a cry, and the dead in Christ will rise. They will rise from their graves, cold, dead bodies, resurrected to warm, pumping blood. Then, we who are alive, we will be caught up in the air with them. As we meet Jesus, Jesus descends, we ascend, and we meet in the air. And so we will always be with him. The people who don't like roller coasters here are like, Lord, can we have a a ground option, please? Maybe you could meet us in a nice green pasture, sturdy green pasture, or a Starbucks. But pop. What Paul says is, we are going to meet the Lord in the air. This all matters not just to show how epic it will be when Jesus comes back, but also it matters because it gives us hope. It gives us hope of resurrection. Those who are dead in Christ, they will not stay dead. They will rise. Their cold, uh, dead bodies, they will, they, they will rise. Their blood will pump again. This is amazing. So how does this apply? Grieve with hope. Grieve with hope. When you're at a funeral of a Christian, do not grieve as though you have no hope or that person has no hope. You will see that person again in the flesh. They will rise from the dead and they will meet you and Jesus in the air. Do not grieve at Christian funerals. Without, Of course, it's appropriate to grieve that they're gone. Yes, but do not grieve as those who have no hope. Application number two, we will have bodies in heaven. The hope of the Christian, it's not to be this disembodied spirit floating around in heaven. That's sometimes what we think, right? No, Jesus was resurrected. Jesus had a body and our hope is to be resurrected people who live with God on a new earth God has the power of resurrection he has used it before and he intends to use it again children this means that if you you have a, a grandpa or grandma who is no longer living and if they trusted in Jesus you will see them again you will see them again in person. Finally, if you consider yourself a non-Christian, would you like to have this hope? This, this hope of resurrection? Would you like to be not afraid to die because you know that you will rise from the dead and you will live with God forever? Then trust in Jesus. Trust in this resurrection. Talk to me afterwards. Talk to one of our elders. We'd love to talk to you about this hope, this real biblical hope. Jesus, far before Paul wrote about this, Jesus knew He would be resurrected. Jesus knew the Father would raise Him from the dead. Look up Matthew 16.21 later if you're interested. Luke 24.41 says, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, This is after Jesus' resurrection. While they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, Jesus said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. The disciples are sitting there wide-eyed because this guy was dead and now he's alive and he's asking for fish because he has a stomach, because he has a body, because God raised him from the dead. So Jesus was resurrected. And we have that hope too. Living a life that is pleasing to God, it is possible. And it involves knowing and trusting this hope. This morning, we talked a lot about pleasing God. It involves at least three things. It involves more than this, but at least three. Abstaining from sexual immorality, having more love for each other, and being informed about this hope. So, in closing, Jesus, he abstained from sexual immorality. He exemplified the greatest love the world has ever seen. And he trusted God the Father to raise him from the dead. By taking our sin and rising in resurrection, Jesus cleanses us from our sexual sin. He demonstrates his great love for us in shedding his blood, in giving up his body. And finally, he gives us hope. Hope for resurrection. If we die here on this earth, we will be resurrected if we trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning and we give you praise, Lord. We give you praise for Paul. We give you praise for his work and for how he helped the Thessalonians. We give you praise Lord, for how he encouraged them and exhorted them to abstain from sexual immorality. Lord, we give you praise for how he encouraged them to love each other more deeply. We give you praise, Lord, for how you You worked through Paul to show us the hope of resurrection. And Father, more than this, we praise you for Jesus Christ, God. We praise you that he abstained pure and sinless and holy. We praise You that He loved deeply. And we praise You, Lord, that we have the hope of resurrection, of meeting the Lord Jesus in the air. Father, would You build us up in these truths? Would You unite us as a church? And please bless the rest of the morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.